For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Thursday, everyone. Little glitch there. Uh, welcome to the show tonight. Before we start tonight, I want to speak a moment about uh, Florida and everything that's going on there. Uh, Florida, I've had uh, the great pleasure of performing in uh, Florida many, many times. Uh, Punta Gorda, uh, I did uh, a few shows in Punta Gorda. I performed at the Palladium uh, in St. Petersburg uh, and uh, many other areas of Florida. So my heart goes out to Florida tonight. So I want you to know that I'm thinking of you and uh, uh, if you've got loved ones in Florida, I'm thinking of them as well tonight. Uh, so our hearts do go out to them and uh, uh, we are thinking of you. And if there's anything that I can do, uh, pick up the phone and call me. Uh, I want to be there for you. Um, I am very excited about tonight's guest. Uh, we will have a little reprieve and uh, focus on a little positivity tonight. Uh, Tamala D'Amico is someone that I discovered through the wonderful world of social media. Uh, I met her through Facebook, although we're meeting tonight for the first time face to face. Uh, I just happened to stumble upon her a few weeks ago and I found her absolutely fascinating when I was reading her Wikipedia page, although I have to admit, uh, and I'm going to ask her about this, uh, Wikipedia pages can be a little wonky sometimes, uh, but she's got a lot of credits there. Uh, but exploring a little deeper, listening to her music, seeing her resume, seeing the work that she's done, uh, she is absolutely worth celebrating. So tonight we're going to celebrate uh, Tamala and her body of worth. Uh, Tamala, before we start tonight, because I do want to take a moment, you also studied in Florida. And uh, do you have friends and family in Florida? Uh, and uh, if so, if anything you want to say about that, not to start us off on a negative note, but I do want to put uh, everything in perspective about where we are in the world right now. Sure. You have no way of knowing this, but I uh, went to high school in Punta Gorda in Florida. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, my, I lived there for a time. It's so beautiful. I mean, it's it's the Gulf Coast of Florida, so you're it's like the Bahamas basically. It's so gorgeous. My uh, dad passed last year, but my mom moved to Tampa where my brother is, so she's safe. I have some other family there and tons of friends there, of course, and they're all safe, thank God. Uh, but it's very scary if you've never lived through a hurricane. I mean, every place that you live has something. I mean, California has earthquakes. Everybody has something. And you learn how to deal with them, but they are never not scary. And the storms in Punta Gorda and the Gulf Coast get so um, dark. It gets very, very dark. Like the sky opens up and it's like something out of a movie, like Clash of the Titans or something. It's very, very scary. And you never know which way it's going to go up until the very last second of the weather report. They're always like, oh, it's coming here. And then sometimes it just blows over and you've planned and planned. And then other times when you don't plan you know, you're caught in something really, really terrible. But luckily, my family's okay. And my friends are okay that I've checked in with. But a lot of people have have not done very well. Well, you know, it's very interesting, especially about this particular storm. I grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, you know, once or twice a year, we would get those notifications that we needed to go further inland. And our parents would load us up in the car. And it was an adventure for us as kids. We mm -hmm. were excited. The sky was dark. It was like something out of the Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And we were excited, not realizing until, of course, I'm older now and a little bit wiser, that my parents were absolutely petrified of losing everything they had. Mm -hmm. um, and getting us in the car, going to a hotel. And luckily for us, we never experienced any true damage growing up. Um, but Punta Gorda, as you described, so many people, um, I was having a conversation with a friend this morning in Tampa mm -hmm. um, and another friend uh, in another area, they thought that the hurricane was going to be a direct hit on Tampa. So those friends in Tampa left the area yeah. and in other areas of Florida, they weren't as concerned and they didn't evacuate. 
Yeah. It always does, I think, the worst sort of damage in that little pocket of the Gulf. Uh, certain areas of Tampa Bay, definitely it'll hit, but it's just, you never know. That's the thing. It's the risk you take living in Florida, I always say. I mean, it is a peninsula. It could be underwater at any given day, no matter whether there's a storm or whatever. So you just, you know, it's a risk, but well, I mean, most people yeah. move to Florida for retirement and they are of a certain age where they don't have the wherewithal to sometimes leave their place. So a lot of people choose to stay. And I think this time, a lot of a lot of my friends chose to stay and, you know, they put up these metal corrugated things on their windows and everything you can do. And I think the most thing that happened was like some roof tiles, you know, all the Mediterranean homes there, the roof tiles came off and trees, of course, all those things. And and lanai. So if you've got a lanai covering your pool, that thing will collapse in five seconds. There's no hope for that. But that's little, you know what I mean? That's little damage in way of, you know, it's, you still have a life, so. Well, I'm going to be very honest with you. I had never heard of Punta Gorda. Oh, until, no. Until I got booked there. And once I got booked there, and uh, and it was just an incredible, I had a, the best time. I did two shows there. And then I left there uh, to fly to Aspen to do a gig. And so I uh, we drove, interestingly enough, from Punta Gorda to Tampa. Uh-huh. So talk about the trajectory of this hurricane. Yeah. We actually, you know, drove to Tampa to fly to Aspen to do this. So I want to ask you, growing up in Punta Gorda, mm -hmm. uh, did you grow up in a household uh, filled with entertainment? I mean, you wear so many hats in this business. Yeah, I mean, I'm originally from New York, and then I I lived my most seldom amount of time in Florida. Okay. Um, when I was there, I very much felt like a transplanted New Yorker, and I could not wait to leave Florida because the mentality was different. New York is very progressive in school, so when I got to school there, I basically was like a student teacher to my class because... Uh, New York schools were more advanced. So I already had done everything. So it was, it was a very unique experience being there. Um, I come of, from a very large and funny Italian and Italian-American family. So everyone is a character. Everyone is really funny and talented in their own way. And I'm the youngest of five kids and there's an age gap between my brothers and sisters and I. And um, I just think like having all of that influx. I always say, I don't remember speaking until I was like nine years old. And that's not true, but that's what it felt like because I was a sponge to all these characters and I was watching everybody. But yeah, our house was filled with wonderful movies and wonderful music. Of course, the Frank and Dean and, and uh, Peggy Lee and Ella Fitzgerald, all those jazz greats made up a lot of my childhood in addition to opera and Pavarotti and all of these Italian influence things. Um, my dad just passed, as I had mentioned, and I recently just found he had cut a record when he was a kid and he had a do-up group. And uh, it was really cool to like find this scratched old record and have it repaired and listen to my dad sing and know like at one point that was his dream. And um, his dad wanted to be a film director. So I just feel like I've taken everybody's everything and sort of then spit it out, you know? Now, you did, a, uh, you made a film about your father called yeah. Valerie. Yes. Um, and uh, so, I mean, this film was made several years ago. I, ha I unfortunately I haven't seen the film yet. Uh, yeah. But uh, he was an Italian immigrant. Uh, yes. Does it talk about his life coming to New York? Or did it talk about his life prior? What is the, you know. It's, it's basically his experience coming to America, going through a New York school system and not being able to speak English and falling in love with a girl. And he speaks both broken English in this little film about him. But I had written this short story and then a feature from the time I was 16 years old. Just I kept rewriting the story of my dad because I just was really impressed that someone I mean, being in the household of a child of an immigrant and see how much my dad had become an entrepreneur and lived this American dream, I was very inspired by him. And he taught us all to be entrepreneurial 
and start our own companies and all this stuff. So I always looked up to him in that regard that I thought, God, it takes so much to be able to come here as an immigrant, but then actually to make something of yourself is, is even greater. So I loved hearing all of his stories coming here. I mean, he was one of the last group of people to come to Ellis Island before they shut that whole system down and has his name on the wall there as a kid, you know, and he had never seen so many cars before on the Verrazano Bridge. He had never seen so many cars in his life. So he thought they were cows. So he was like, look at all the cows. Because He'd come from Sicily. So it's just like that perspective. You realize like I was raised with the notion of like, you are so fortunate to be Italian-American. Like I'm first generation Italian-American. And that was very much lauded in my household. Like we are very big on culture not just in way of food, but family and taking care of other people and neighborhood. Like my parents were the social people of the neighborhood, no matter where they went. So when we went from New York to Punta Gorda, our neighborhood moved with us. Like mm. that's how, how much of a social person, you know, my dad was and my mom. So yeah, it was very impressive to sort of come from that background and have a love of people. And that's, that's where my love of people and creating comes from. That's great. You know, TCM has a series right now going on about immigrants and what their image of America was based mm -hmm. on the films that they saw. Uh, yeah. How old was your father when he came to America? He was 10, I think, turning 11. And I'm actually named after the Tammy movies. All my other siblings have Italian names, but I was named after the Tammy movies. Tamala. <laughs> yeah, so it was very cool to get to meet Debbie Reynolds and also work with uh, Carrie Fisher. And, you know, it was like, it's cool. It was sort of like a meant to be thing, you know? It's amazing. Uh, what a great story. And then, uh, uh, so if you don't mind my asking, why did your family move from New York to Punta Gorda? And how old were you when that move took place? Sure. Richard, I have no idea, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not well, want to We're going to find out. Yeah, I did not want to move. And as a kid, we traveled to Florida a lot because our my grandma was there. My grandma and grandpa were there on my mom's side. So when we actually moved, I it was under my impression that we were taking another vacation. I didn't really get. I thought like, oh, this is just going to be for a short amount of time. And uh, I was, again, I think 10 turning 11, same like my dad. And it's very, you know, the first 10 years of your life make up your foundation of your character. And that's it. From there, you don't really progress with the baseline of who you are. I mean, you do, you learn things, but the baseline of you, that's who you're going to be. So I was like, I am a New Yorker. What is this? The only thing I loved about school is that they had a salad bar in New York. We did not have a salad bar. <laughs> I thought that was very cool. So um, this little girl is definitely a New Yorker. Yes. I love that. That photo is so funny. I think I'm about five or six years old. And you can tell I cut my own bangs, right? Well, well she, she is adorable. Whatever, I mean, whoever cut her bangs, she's just absolutely adorable. I mean, what do you recall about this picture? I mean, did you cut your bangs for the picture? Yeah, so two things were going on. You can see I lost some teeth there. My smile, I think, is a little off because I think I had just come from the dentist. Um, besides the missing teeth, like I'm, I was like, had numb face. And before you go get your pictures, you're in line with all those kids and they would give us these little black combs. And there was a mirror before you would go to get your picture. And I wanted to comb my bangs down and I took the little shears, you know, the classroom shears. And I just was like, well, this looks out of place because it was not laying right. So I was like, I'll just cut it. And then they're like, you're next. I was like, oh no. So I, when we got my pictures back, my mom was like, what happened to your hair? <laughs> And that was yeah. the beginning of creativity. Yes. So, so growing up in Punta, uh, so you New York, D Deer Park, Dix Hills, like uh, Suffolk County, New York, and then Punta Gorda. Yeah. So, at what point did you realize that you had this bent for the show business? That you could sing, you could yeah. act, that you had. And I love the fact that, that your father instilled in you this entrepreneurial aspect of it, because so many people go into this business thinking it's just about being in the spotlight and that's it. But yeah. 
you prove beyond a shadow of a doubt much more than that. And I love that about you. So you had mentioned TCM. In New York, there was New York's Nostalgia Network before TCM was big. It was kind of more like me TV. Mm-hmm. So my first teacher, I like to say, because I didn't go to preschool, was Judy Garland. And they used to play the Judy Garland show on there. And then they would play I Love Lucy. So I saw a very black and white world and my imagination was very vivid. I saw those things in color in my mind, you know. So Judy Garland, the old Judy Garland shows, um, somebody recently, when I mentioned this on the radio, they sent me the whole set of all of her shows and they are behind the scenes. They are like from the editor. I own all those now, which I'm so grateful for because I'm like, this is what I saw as a kid and this is what changed my world. So Judy Garland, my first teacher, she taught me how to be still. She taught me when to be wild. She taught me how to be absolutely organic and naked as a performer. And after that, like I said, watching Lucille Ball, the thing that made me want to go to California, I didn't even know what California was or where it was. But the the two-part episode where Lucy goes to California and she has all those crazy things that happen at the Brown Derby and all these things. And I was like, Oh, I'm going there. Like, I know it later in life, I'm going there. So I've always been basically an old soul. I I feel like whether it was from watching Judy or kind of, I remember being like four years old and singing some song in the back of the car and my parents just turning around and looking at me like, how do you know that, you know? So I definitely have an old soul. I should have been born in like the 40s or something, you know? You know, John Fricke is a friend of mine who is the Judy Garland historian. And mm. he tells the story of taking the clip of Judy Garland singing Old Man River from the Judy Garland show to a classroom and showing these kids this and how the kids in the classroom are mesmerized yeah. by the fact because it's just her and two cameras, mm-hmm. um, no special effects, nothing else. It's just her, the music, and the microphone. And so many... Uh, I feel that to me, MTV robbed a lot of kids of seeing what the raw talent of these great artists was all about. So I'm glad that you saw that early on uh, in before you even realized. But it's one thing to, I also, that what you're describing is very much who I was as a child too. But there comes a moment where you go, that's what I want to be. That's where I want to be. That's how I want to be. I always used to say that if I could have jumped into the TV set, I would have jumped right through the TV set. That's where I wanted to be. When did you realize that that was a real world that you could somehow inhabit and become a part of your own world? Um, this is kind of like a three-part answer. One, to button up your last question, I... Because I watched Judy Garland and all these old movies, I thought in order to be a performer, you had to be good at everything because that was the studio system. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I have to dance. I have to sing. I have to this. And my dad put in me like, you should also know the business. So I had like those two things going. But when did I know I wanted to be a performer would have to be the, that same little girl, that picture that you showed. Uh, my first little play in school, I was a bowl of cereal. We were doing the four food groups. <laughs> Uh. I was the bowl of cereal and I came out and I did this little thing on stage for my class and like people clapped and loved it. And then I was like, oh, well, now I got it. You know, like that thing that I've been seeing Judy and all these people on this old network, like what they are getting, like, oh, I just got it. I just received that gift. Oh, that was really amazing. And it wasn't like an ego thing where, you know, Lawrence Olivier would say, oh, to be an actor, it's all look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And it's not, it wasn't that. It just was like, I, my soul is just so full and I just gave it to you. And, and then you're like, yes, I want that, you know? And I was like, oh, that felt so good. And it felt like such a connection. So being the cereal bowl in the four food groups was my first connection to that love of having an audience and giving and receiving that kind of communication. So that's well, it's where all that- about it, it's about passion. It, that passion takes over. Yes, absolutely. You have to, um, you know, I had uh, Nicole Henry on the other night. Mm-hmm. And once you get a taste of that, you want more of it. And yes. uh, 
so after that experience, did you go home and say to your parents that this is what you wanted to do? Or was this something that you kept a secret? Okay, so again, two part. One, I remember being a kid and saying to my mom, I want to be an actress. You know, she'd say, oh, you act all over the house anyway. Like you act too much around the house. But then like my mom, when she was a kid, again, like I said, I have older parents in relation to my my friends because there's an age gap between, I feel like I have like, my parents had like four incarnations of children, you know, generationally speaking. But um, my mom was um, a Patty's girl for Patty Page. She was like a person who ran a fan group for Patty Page when she was very young. So all that old music that would have been my grandparents' music was in our house. So she very much understood that world in that regard. So like I said, I'm the youngest of five and whatever we were good at, my mom was very good at nurturing us without being pushy. So hmm. they welcomed it, but coming from an Italian American home, which is also a very critical home, if you know any Italians, Italians do this thing, especially American Italians, where they are proud of you and they will tell the neighborhood, but they don't tell you. So it's not meant to sound mean or rude. It's just, that's the way it is. So they don't want you to get a big head. So the neighbor will be like, your dad is so proud of you. And I'd be like, really? I have no <laughs> idea. But I knew he was, but we just, we didn't have that sort of thing where somebody's like blowing smoke in other words, you know? So they were very much supportive in whatever we did. Like my brother would study the back of the Walt Disney medical encyclopedia that showed you all the body parts, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, or no, he was into that kind of stuff. And then my mom got him that encyclopedia and now he's a doctor. Like, you know what I mean? Like she just is very good at nurturing, but not being pushy. So I mm -hmm. had an interest in everything. And then I, when I got to high school in Florida, again, like I said, Florida was not, I wasn't vibing with Florida. I just felt like a total outsider all the time. So I wanted to fill my time. I was in all these advanced placement classes, again, making you an outsider from your friends, you know? So I had, I was part of the local radio show and the, the local, the TV show that we had in school and also the journalism in school, as well as the local paper outside of school for the town. Like I was just like everywhere and everything. Cause I was like, I have this need to create. I love people. I love telling stories at my core. I am a storyteller no matter what I'm doing. So that's how I sort of got through Florida. And then I applied to Florida state university's film school and got in, which was very competitive. And I think once my parents saw that I got in there, I mean, they accept 16 students from all over the world every year it's wow. very competitive so once i got in there and i had been doing little films and things like that um they were like oh wow like this is for real for real you know so they were very very supportive and i'm so fortunate to have supportive parents like that and on the other realm of that they taught me like reach for the stars and everybody's a peer so i've worked with everybody i've ever wanted to work with I me mean, one of the people first people i started working with out here was Barbara Streisand through her foundation and like talking to Barbara Streisand on the phone. And I was like, it's cool. She's a peer. She went to high school with my mom went to high school, you know, like, so I oh, had no. High school. What's now, that? My friend, uh, Erasmus high school in Brooklyn. Yes. Uh, yes. So my friend Rose just had a heart attack when you said. That. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, yeah. So, so I just felt like, you know, these are my people and this is where I'm supposed to be because I was taught that everybody was a peer. So it could either be seen as being very naive or it afforded me to just walk into any room and sort of be comfortable, you know? I like that. Uh, you know, and I think that that's the way to go about, you know, pursuing a career. Um, but with all the hats that you wear, I mean, did you, were you really pursuing uh, being in front of the camera, being behind the camera? Uh, do you have a preference as to where you are or uh, as long as you're creative, are those juices, uh, you know, fulfilling your needs? You know, where do you really get the most yeah. enjoyment? I prefer just being a performer when it comes to being a job, let's say. OK, because as a performer, you go in, you do your stick and you get to leave. You don't carry the weight of 
what goes into all the mechanics of that performance besides what you're responsible for, right? So as an actor, I can walk on somebody else's film set and do my part and be like, done, thanks everybody, see you tomorrow or whenever. Uh, as a director, as a producer, as the person who is the leader of that thing, you are married to it for at least a year. You're constantly worried about every single department, which I always am anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but still, like, you don't get to go home and just be like, oh, somebody else has that tomorrow. No, it's on you. So it's a little bit easier in my realm. Not that being a, just a performer is easy. It's not. But it's easier for me as somebody who wears many hats to just be able to step in and then just be able to leave. But typically that's not how I run things. I'm always seem to be doing 8 million things, but um, my, the reason why I do know almost every aspect of this business business is because I chose to, because my dad actually said, if you're, if you're going to choose this as your path, you know that it has highs and lows. Okay. You can have, tons of money, you can have no money. And it doesn't matter as long as you love it. Those things will it's cyclical, right? He's like, but the real thing is, you can always have a job if you know every department, if you understand contracts, if you understand, you know, what the craft service person does, if you fall down the ladder, you can grab another rung and you know what to do at that rung. And you will always have income. So I was like, that was some of the best advice I ever got because I was like, yeah, I do know a lot about a little, a lot about a lo little, a little about a lot, whoever that says. Yes. Um, yeah, because of that. So I made it my business to when I was coming out here and still in school and then I was going to the Strasbourg actor studio, I was working with a manager to learn contracts. Cause I was like, if you're going to take a percentage of my money, what is it that you do and why, you know what I mean? So I just, I had to, I have a need to know attitude, but certainly it's much easier for me to just create and live in that creativity and not have to worry about business, but that's just not how it goes usually. Was that instilled uh, in you? I mean, from the very beginning with your father? I mean, what an amazing thing because so many people, I mean, I was burned yeah. badly by um, a producer. I spent seven years in litigation uh, by signing a bad contract, yeah, um, uh, fighting for the rights to my show. Mm -hmm. um, I've dealt with bad managers, bad producers in this business. Yeah. Um, it happens, and uh, but I didn't think in those terms. Uh, you know, I've learned as I've gone along, but it seems like yeah. you had that instinct from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pushed pushed in instinct for sure because, like I said, I had my dad, and I also went to film school and theater school at the same time. So I was getting a whole business area as well as just being creative and being a performer. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, like I said, it's very important. And I get really frustrated with actors who are, well, I don't know that because, you know, I'm like, well, you need to learn. Like, this is a business. It's show business. And if you don't learn the business side, you're going to have, not to say that I have not had bad contracts and bad people and whatever. It still happens. But at least everything is a learning curve and an experience where you can grow from it. I mean, now, no matter what it is, even with my social branding stuff, I, I redline all of my contracts, all of them. Like, when you do a lot of independent film, it says, uh, you know, it's always in favor of the producer, those contracts and what they want from you. And I'm like, okay, well, here's what I want from you. You made this money on, a, you made this film on a, sh a shoestring budget, right? So what I need from this, besides my actual check, is I need the body of work that I did for you. And you may not release this ever, you know? So in my contracts, I always state that I no matter whether this film is released or not, I will have my footage for my reel or for whatever it is that I choose to do. Wow, and a lot of people don't like that. Uh, again, from working with other actors, um, one of the first things I did when I first came out to LA as a teenager, I read Embeth Davids had a contract and in her contract, which is so brilliant. I just, I remember studying it and I was like, this woman is brilliant. In her contract, she was like, I get to keep all my wardrobe, all the clothes in this movie I want. And I was like, I didn't even know you could do that. 
You know, that's like part of her payment. She wants those clothes. She's going to get it. And that's part of the deal. And I was like, wow. So then I really started looking at actors contracts and I was like, what, who gets what and why? And then you, where are they composed? You bring up a very interesting point. You know, I remember signing a contract years ago and this was after I had a bad, I, I was performing in Atlantic city. I was headlining at Trump's Taj Mahal, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I was called into the head of the entertainment departments uh, one day and they said, uh, we like you a lot. We love you, but you're not Celine Dion. And I said, what are you talking about? My manager was making demands that I wasn't even aware of. My, my manager wanted my name above the title uh, of the show and was going in there uh, fighting for costumes and everything. I knew nothing about any of this. And it almost cost me my contract. Yeah. It almost got me kicked out of the show. And so when I told my manager at the time that she was not welcome backstage, uh, she took me into arbitration. And, uh, and then shortly after that, when I was going out to California to do another gig um, and the producer wanted to send me the contract, I was very nervous about what I wanted to put into the contract. And my attorney now I had an attorney said mm -hmm. to me, please understand a contract is to protect both parties. Yes. And if the other side doesn't respect that, don't sign the contract. And that's a lesson that you need to learn as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if somebody starts giving you pushback on their side, oh, just get, tell your lawyer to hurry up or like, why does your lawyer need to see it? Then you know, like this is red flag land. Don't sign that contract. Yeah. Like I said, no matter how diligent you are, you still come across bad people. I was attached to a film. I helped raise money for it. I got ousted out of the LLC because of who knows what they all had worked their little magic behind the scenes. And I just thought, well, why did that, like, this is a learning experience. How could this happen to me? And why did this happen to me? And also I'm glad it happened to me because I don't want to be in business with those people if they're dealing dirty, you know? So it was in a way, like those are hard knock lessons, but it's also that's the universe kind of protecting you from those people in a way that just had to come down the pike that way. Absolutely. Well, I want to go back to, you know, going, uh, there, there comes a point in a person's career uh, in this business when there's the fork in the road. Uh, you could have come back to New York or you could have gone to LA. You chose to go to LA for your needs. Um, why did you make that choice instead of going to New York? Uh, I did go to New York. I've oh, been good. Okay. prior to pandemic, I have been by coastal New York, LA for 10 years. And then of course, pandemic, I just hunkered down here and just stayed. And New York has, New York has changed quite a bit mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, uh, mainly that most of the artists have been pushed out. I mean, in way of living scenarios, a lot of people live in Brooklyn, they live in Harlem, they live in Staten Island now of all places. Are you in New York? What's that? Are you in New York or are you in L.A. now? I'm in L.A. right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm in L.A. So uh, I'm in L.A. My very about, uh, I, uh, Your original uh, move. Did you originally come to New York or did you originally go to L.A.? I originally went to L.A. because I came here to work with a producer. Uh, and then uh, it was just this in my call. I had I had not finished the first time. There's been like several incarnations of coming to LA, but the first time I came, I was still in college or really just starting college. And one of the assignments was write page 365 of your uh, autobiography. And I wrote it and I said that I was working with this mega producer who had inspired me and da, 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 da. And he just wrote like, my professor wrote like good, like keep dreaming or something like that. And that burned me. I was like, I don't now, like that. Now, may I, I ask, was that producer Steven Spielberg? No. Because mm -mm. <laughs> you like, work with Steven Spielberg. Yes, yes. No, that burned me. And I was like, I'm going to go work for this production company. I don't care what I have to do. And I don't even care that I'm still in college. So I called them and asked for an internship. I said I was moving to LA. I had not yet. And they gave me one and I got school credit and I flew out there and I was there working maybe like two and a half months, three months. These are the people who do all the Batman movies and all these mega Warner Brothers movies. And um, after three months, they're like, we want to hire you. And I was like, hey, that's awesome. I got to go to school. They're like, didn't you graduate? 
no, I'm just going to college. So for me, I was like, I'm glad I did it. I had to do it. Um, because I was have, like, did you have family or friends in LA? I no. mean, where, where, well, where I you... did have a boyfriend who was older, yeah, who had already come out to LA. Um, so you had a place to stay when you got out. Uh, yes, LA. yeah, okay. yeah, and ironically, um someone from my film school was moving something to LA via truck. So I put all my stuff on that truck and just had it shipped out. It was like all these weird serendipitous things, you know? Serendipity. So, that's the word. I love it. Yeah. Like my life has been very much serendipitous in a lot of ways and the people I've worked with and, and um, very fortunate to have really good teachers and mentors along the way for sure. Well, with all of the film work you've done and television work, then there's you've got this incredible recording career as well. And you've got a new project out. And yes. I listened to it today. I downloaded all of, uh, well, I listened to uh, Boring 20s. So yes. tell me about this project. Okay, so we're in the middle of pandemic and I'm starting to get very antsy because I have a lot of things that were on my production slate that, of course, got halted. And I hadn't recorded anything. I hadn't released anything. So I was like, I need to be recording. And I called around to other recording studios and everybody was shut. So I was like, I don't know what to do. So I just started scouring the internet and scouring my files. Like, what was the thing that you wanted to do that you haven't done? And when I first started my career in music, ironically, I was recording electronic dance hits just under the name Tamala for money, for money. I did not want anybody to hear these songs. I just wanted them to afford me having money at that time, right? When I first came to LA and I just thought, well, it's cool. I'm getting to sing, but I don't really care about this because I'm going to be a jazz artist and whatnot. And it was cool. I wrote them and whatever, but they all went overseas to Europe and my parents were in Italy and my mom called me and she was like, hey, we hear you here on the radio. And I was like, what? <laughs> I had no idea they were even released. I thought I, we just tried these tracks and I got paid for it. So then I had to recoup all that money. So I started almost professionally, almost primarily in electronica, which is very like house music, electronica dance music. So that's where that started. And then um, during pandemic going through these files, I'm like, I always wanted to blend electronica and jazz. And that, that is a genre called electro swing, which I love. And if you watch anything on TikTok or YouTube or Instagram, you see all these people shuffling, which essentially is the Charleston, like very fast. Mm -hmm. And um, they have amazing moves and they're dancing to all this electro swing music. And I remember during pandemic looking on Twitter, I was trying to find like, who are the, besides this one German guy, Parav Stellar, I think he's German. Um, he's like the biggest guy in, in the, the genre. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to contact that guy. I want to do a song with him. So I contact him. I don't hear anything. Next up, this track comes through. I, for the life of me, I don't remember the name of it, but all I can remember was I wish that that song was mine. And I hadn't had that feeling in a very long time where I was like, damn it. Why didn't I know about these guys? The, the, the two producers and writers are um, Wolfgang Lohr and Ashley Slater. One was in Berlin at the time. And the other one I think was in Russia. And I just contacted them through the grace of social media. And I was like, look, I am supposed to make a song with you. I, I don't know why I know this. Like, I know I am. Let's, let's do something. So I didn't hear back. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, maybe they didn't see that tweet, you know? So I was like, how am I going to get to them? So then I went to Facebook and then I went to Instagram and they were like, oh my God, yes, we'd love to do something with you. So I was like, Really? So we went back and forth with a number of things. And I said, what I really want to do is do something about how this new 20s, I thought was going to be this huge 1920s jazz resurgence. And it was my time again. You know, it's like, this is it. I'm going to be playing in all the clubs. I'm going to tour. And of course, what happened? Everything shut down. So I was like, this is not the roaring 20s that I imagined. It's the boring 20s. And we just started like, you know, doing the thing that you do as artists. And we started ping ponging back and forth. And this is what happened. And then they sent me the skeleton track of the, the beat. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I think this is something. 
So then I played it in the shower and then I came out and uh, I recorded a in home in the home studio. I recorded the vocals with my fiance. We're getting married next Saturday, actually. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. And um, that was really fun to work on it with, with him because we'd never done something like that before together. So we recorded the track at home and then sent it to Berlin and sent it to Russia. And I had never once spoken in this way, like not even on Zoom with these people. Everything was through email. We had never discussed anything live. We just agreed as artists, we're going to make this and we'll see what happens. So not until I think it was like three days before our release date, I was like, hey, we should actually meet live in person. We've created this amazing thing. Let's see each other. And then we did. And I was like, how funny, because I felt like through the art and through the music, I already knew them. I, we already knew each other on a soul level. And I think we were all surprised that it came out so well. And then, you know, we released it and, and they are very much, this is their genre. They are like the best in the business. First of all, I was like, I didn't even know who they were. I just threw a stone. I didn't realize how big they were, that they were on the same level as this other person that I was wishing for. And I was like, wow, these are the guys. I mean, they have so many hits and so many things. So uh, I felt a little silly, but again, that thing where everyone's a peer, you know what I mean? There's something to be said about that level of confidence. So um, we we put it out and Spotify automatically put it as number one. And I was like, what is happening? So it now is so much fun. I want to tell everybody, go and it's Boring 20s. Look it up. Download it. It, it is on every. It's so platform. fun. It is so much fun. I was yeah. listening to it all afternoon this afternoon. It, it yeah. Is so Congratulations. It's, Thank it's you. Fun. I mean, that was the goal. I was like, we are all miserable. We're all inside. We got it. We need something. And I just envisioned like me seeing somebody across the way being like, oh, you like you're bored too. Right. And just like, just having this whole like dance with somebody across the way, you know, like just the commiserating. About this is, I was, and now it all makes sense because I, as I was listening to it today and I'm not even thinking Blah, that of the twenties that we're in now, I'm I'm thinking back to the Roaring Twenties, of yeah. course, Roaring Twenties, Roaring Twenties, mm -hmm. and because you capture that feel as well in your music, mm -hmm. um, and it really captures that feel, and it was exciting. I could see, you know, flappers and you yeah. know all these dancers in my mind's eye as I was listening to it. I mean, I. Is there a music video for this yet? Or is that not yet? Because I've been so crazy busy with everything else since the world opened up, right? As this released, like everything's open now as of March here. And then of course, planning my wedding. So it was like, after my wedding, we're going to do a music video, which I, I hope with somebody very, very special who is from that time period. One of the few last remaining celebrities left uh, from that era or around that era. I have an idea um, for you that I'll tell you after the show. Okay, good. I really want to hear it. Um, so, yeah, the other thing was, is like, you know, the cover, the, the cover art, a lot of people that know me in the jazz world were like, oh, we didn't like seeing you so harsh looking like that. And this like 1920s, like harsh flapper look that was like, it was frightening to us. Some people said, you know, I was like, well, the, the roaring 20s was a dark time. Like, I don't know if you realize that. It was, there's a lot of darkness going on there. And the reason why the flappers look like that is because they were covering their dark circles with makeup and they all had like syphilis or something, you know, like something bad was happening then too. Or they were dancing, they were doing dance marathons for 24, 30 hours. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, right, on the positive flip side of that. And now it's like the 20s now, although boring, some people, you know, you always get the haters and the trolls and they're like, this is far from boring. I'm like, yeah, you're missing the point. I'm saying both things, you know, it, it is, it was boring in one regard, but God, it's so not boring. We've had every major disaster that could possibly happen and wars and all these things have started, but it's very much similar to the old 20s, you know, it's just the fun part of it, it was a little bit more harder to reach. So I was like, I want to do something that is fun, that people will enjoy and that they will want to dance to and move and it will elevate them. And we've got a lot more 20s to go. So the song will last thinking in my business brain, you know, so, um, yeah, I just I'm very proud of it. And I feel like I'm more proud of us as a team that we have still we've never met in person. Um, and 
we got it done. And I was like, I didn't even care at the time I was doing it. I didn't care about what the end result was. I just cared that I did it. I had to do it because I was stuck in the house and I have my creative hands and I had to get my hands in something. And I, I was like, I was just shackled, you know? So I wanted to just get it done. And then once we got it done, I was like, Hey, like to myself, like, Hey, you did that, you know? And that was enough. And then to have it then go on and see all these people dancing to it all over the world and getting these videos from people dancing to it. It's crazy to me. You know, it's like, wow, it really did affect people because we were all feeling the same thing. So the universal elements of it uh, came through. I can see so many things coming out of this. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, It's great. Um, As we wind down, um, I'm going to, you know, these are, I've got some fun wind down questions that are, I'm going to do, going to do a giveaway tonight. I'm giving away uh, again, uh, one of my mugs. And uh, I want to ask our giveaway word tonight is contentment. And I want to ask what contentment means to you, uh, both in your career and in your personal life. Sure. Uh, Contentment, basically, for me right now is something very much on my mind, because as I have been planning my wedding, and, you know, trying to stick to a certain number of wedding, having a large family, and then a lot of friends in Los Angeles. I am all about peace right now. And being content with who I am and finding other people who are content with who they are, which again, is a level of peace. People who are at peace with themselves and content with themselves are the people that now moving forward in this chapter of my life, like the married life, is what I want to surround myself with. Because COVID taught us like what was important, who's important in your life, who do you want to have in your life moving forward? What have you taken for granted? All those things. It was like a really deep think, you know? And I have always been competitive only with myself. And I think that has afforded me a a great deal of peace and contentment in my own world because as a performer, people are constantly putting you up against others and other people are constantly looking at you and there's a lot of competition and I elevate everybody around me. Like if I see something, you know, that's for you, I'm like, oh my God, I I gotta text Richard and let him know about this thing. I don't ever have that bone in my body. And maybe because I have three brothers or maybe because I come from a family. Absolutely. I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, do you know about this? Because you should be going up for this or whatever. I think we are one tree with many branches and we all afford each other. There is no taking, you know? So contentment for me and having peace of mind and knowing who I am in my body and my soul. I only want people like that around me now because I've had the other things And of course, over pandemic, the people that were essentially, quote unquote, bad for me or who I knew did not have my best interest in mind, I either, you know, kind of let them go or they dissolved on their own. So I was like, wow, this this is growing up. You know what I mean? This is growing up. And you realize who is for you, who's a dream giver, you know, not a dream stealer. I'm very much a dream giver myself. So I like to help other people achieve their goals. It was one of the reasons why I started my own production company. And then I got stuck into actually working, you know, doing stuff for other people. And I was like, let me take that back. I need to be doing my own vehicles, you know? So sometimes you can go too far in the other direction, but contentment right now is just for me, just being at peace with who I am, where I've been. Sometimes you have to look at your life on paper and say, Hey man, I did that. And that's pretty rad. Cause as artists, we don't. You know, we're very hard on ourselves and we're just like more and more more at the next step. When you're on a film or a show or anything, people always ask you, there's always that one person who says, oh, well, what are you doing next? And I'm like, I'm here now. I'm right here. Isn't that funny that people, what's What's coming up next? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's two parts to that. It's a double-edged sword because they're trying to make you insecure in one regard. Cause if you have nothing next as artists, sometimes we don't, we, we have, we don't know. This is a freelance business, you know, even I always say this, even A-listers, even Jennifer Aniston, when they say, Oh, she's looking at scripts. She's looking for a job. People she's looking for a job like everybody else, whether she's getting paid this or this, we're all looking for jobs. 
Okay, 24 seven, that's the artist brain. Yes. We're always looking for jobs. We're always working. She's so, my fellow Aquarian. We have the same birthday, Jennifer. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So this next question, how do you get in the way, I don't even know how you, you're gonna answer this question. How do you get in the way of your own success? Or do you? Um, Self-sabotage comes from, you know, we all have that little voice that questions itself, you know, like we question ourselves sometimes. I'm a very, very, like my first production company was called La Strega, which means the witch in Italian, because I'm very intuitive as a person and as an artist. Like I, I, I know when you're not feeling good on set, you know what I'm saying? I like want to ask you about that. May, may I go there for a moment? Yes. I love I First of all, I love that. I, I, I was on your uh, website today on Facebook and I loved, first of all, the imagery and everything, uh, especially with Halloween, October coming up. I love the name. And I was wondering how you came up with the name, uh, which I love. Um, and then there's this, I loved it. I thought it was funny. Um, a parody video, uh, which is very true. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's very true. We did that yes. before anything happened. It was very early that we released that. Um, what you're talking about is the Trump video. Yes. Uh, I've got trouble. So I hate to talk about politics, but that was done in jest. And unfortunately, everything in that video turned out to be very true. Yes, yes. Um, um, and people either love it or hate it, but it's just meant in jest and people with a sense of humor get it. Um, La Strega, I have closed as of pandemic and now I have Bologna, but La Strega means the witch in Italian. It is also a very famous uh, Italian liqueur, which is, it tastes sort of like orange spice and it's very potent. You can light it on fire. So for me, La Strega meant I am a sorceress who can make your dreams and my dreams come true, that I have the power to do that. So that's where that started, but that is now closed. And now I have Bologna and Bologna was a Roman warrior who chariot had a chariot with four horses. And because I have so many different arms to my career, I feel like that. So now Bologna Entertainment has, has taken everything that was dissolved in uh, La Strega. And also I had to start an LLC because I have so many social branding things that I do sort of by default as a public figure, quote unquote, um, that I just had to change the, the corporation. Well, that was great. Well, uh, I, I just, I loved it. So, um, so, uh, and speaking of La Strega, this is, uh, this is a statement. My presence is my power. Run with that. My presence is my power. Uh, I think confidence speaks volumes. You may not over be, always be correct, but if you have confidence, you can lead the way to anything. Um, case in point, if you ever see somebody who is wearing a um, traffic vest, if somebody, if you put on a traffic vest and you went into traffic and you said, stop, go, you stop, you go, people will listen to you because you have the confidence to do it and assume that position. And I think there's something very much to be said for confidence. And that is, I would say 98% of my presence when I walk into a room. It's just, I just feel like I know who I am. I know I can do this and I'm sure gonna damn well try if I can't. So that's it. I hope everyone watching tonight runs with that statement because that sums it all up right there. Um, I have these great cards um, and there's this card that says, take notes. I had a teacher in school, Miss Gerald, and she was my biology teacher in school. She ended every class by, with this statement. The bell would ring and nobody would move until she said, read, reread, and take notes. So when I pulled this card tonight and it says, take notes, I immediately thought of Miss Gerald. So yeah. I'm thinking of you today. And so I'm going to read the card. It says, take notes when someone tells you why something you want, uh, you want or desire can't happen. And this is how it works. This means a person questions their arguments more. Um, one of my favorite quotes in the world is argue for your limitations. And sure enough, they're yours. That's from Richard Bach from the book Illusions. So I'd like to ask you to tell us of an instance in your life where someone said can't to you and you proved them wrong. Oh God, Richard, I feel like my entire career, I feel like every single move I've ever made people, when you are a person of light as you are, 
dark people are attracted to light. That's number one, right? So the first thing they want to do is get your light. And the second thing they want to do is make you feel like you don't have light. So they won't try to make you insecure. So I always, be, I always say, be careful who you tell your dreams to, not just your sleeping dreams, but your waking dreams, uh, because there people can be insidious. So if you tell somebody, I want to be this, you know, and they say, well, that, I don't know, you might want to have a fallback on that because da, 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 da. And very slowly you see that come towards you and it can get inside of you and then it can make you insecure. And I have like with my Wonder Woman cuffs, I'm like, <laughs> so first be, be careful who you tell your, your dreams to. When people say, where do you want to be in five years? I always say, well, why do you want to know? Why do you want to know? Mm -hmm. Why is it that you want to know that question? Do you care about me in my future? Or are you looking mm -hmm. for ideas? You know, you have to be very protective. All we have, especially as performers, and if you become a public performer, is your own privacy and your own wants and desires. And, and if you give that up where everybody's so inside of you, then you're not making your own decisions anymore. So well, I've, I've, I've run far away from what I think your main question was, but no, I just, you haven't. You've given me exactly what I want to hear. And I want to ask you, and you just have uh, first name only, uh, your fiance's name. Eric. So with all due respect to Eric, I am madly in love with you. Ah. So, uh, I just want to put it out there. And, I'm, and the world knows this. So I'm going to do a giveaway. Uh, we only have three people who put in contentment right now. So we'll see who our giveaway person is tonight. And I'm hoping that it's going to be a particular... It's Sherry Callahan. It's Sherry Callahan. Uh, and Sherry, um, since you have won a mug, I'm going to send you something else uh, as a surprise. So um, send me Sherry's address and I will send her a swag bag of stuff. Would you really? That yes. is so sweet of you. Thank you. I will, I will get that to you. So okay. thank you for that. Um, so... Don't go anywhere for a moment because I'm going to give you the final word tonight. I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. Um, contentment. Right now, I am content. Um, I didn't know what to expect tonight. And this was way beyond anything I expected. This was, for me, a masterclass in how to do it. The right way to do it. Uh, the right choices to make in one's life and one's career. And I really thank you for being here tonight. Uh, your body of worth is very much worth celebrating. And I hope that you'll come back sometime. For um, sure, anytime. There's so much more that I would love to have you here about uh, again. Yeah, uh, so sure. everyone, thank you for being here tonight. Again, our thoughts and our prayers. Uh, and I know some people get upset with the, that phrase, but it means a lot to me. And I do send my thoughts and prayers yeah. uh, to Florida and anyone affected. And it's not just what's happening in Florida, it's dominoes. It goes way yeah. beyond and it goes, it's a ripple effect and it keeps going. So please, if there's anything you're able to do, reach out, help in any way you can. Um, I wanna thank everyone for being here tonight. As you all know, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the eighth person that pops up and reach out with a phone call tonight and tell them about Tamala D'Amico and tell them about this song, Boring 20s. Tell them they have to go and they have to download it and they have to listen to it. And I want them to get off of their keister or whatever they call it. <laughs> and I want them to dance tonight. Dance. I want them to dance under the, you know, uh, I don't even know. Uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, Danielle will tell us whatever the phase of the moon is right now. This is the song to dance under tonight. Yes. So everybody, I'm going to dance under it as soon as this is over. Um, and But just go out and do something nice for somebody else tonight. Remember that eight friend. Uh, you never know what someone else is going through right now. As my dear friend Sean Moniger always says, we're all in this together but we're not in the same boat. And as I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So Tala, <laughs> I'm going to leave the screen. You've got the final word tonight. Anything you want to say about anything that we talked about that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, 
or just any final message. And thank you for being here. It's all yours. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was such a joy. I always like to leave people with something my grandmother, who was 92 when she passed, said. She said, if if you're bashful, you lose. So make sure you go out and get whatever you want in this life. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.